In episodes 1 through 9, you might hear the podcast name Heart of Nashville mentioned. This podcast was originally called Heart of Nashville, but due to a name conflict, I decided to change the podcast name to Nashville Untold and relaunch it. Just wanted to note that so it was not confusing when a guest or myself mentioned the name Heart of Nashville instead of Nashville Untold in the first few episodes. Here it comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Well, hello, Nashville, and all the other listeners out there. You are tuning in to Heart of Nashville. For episode seven, I'll be sitting down with J.J. Benson and the Rambler. I get to learn about all he's got going on. He is making a huge impact in the foster care system. And you will definitely enjoy his story. It'll make you want to uh, to go and make a change, make a difference. It's the little things. Be in tune to what, um, I guess, what's going on in your life and just the opportunities you have to serve and make a difference because it can change your life, as it did with J.J., and his wife and uh, so it's a great one tune in enjoy hello nashville today i'm sitting down with jj benson actually i was introduced to you through jeff holder it's kind of fun to look at all the names and the introductions and the tie-ins you know with the networking aspect but uh we're sitting down here in centennial park today i'm trying to wrap this up uh before noon so we don't hit the Whatever the bad weather is supposed to hit us, yeah, you know. The big storm coming. Yeah, yeah. Our wives are scared for us, so <laughs> we we got to make it quick. Um, anyways, it was funny. I was sitting there asking JJ. I said, hey, so uh, what's your real name? You know, usually JJ's not. And he was telling me a story, which I think kind of what I know of you so far, probably have an entrepreneur mindset. Mm-hmm. So independent thinking and stuff like that. <laughs> so it sounds like it started, it started early. Yeah. early. So you, you said your real name was what? It's my real name is Jeffrey Charles, but I was, when I was five years old, um, I just decided, and this is kind of five year old logic. I decided I didn't like my full name, uh, but I did like the letter J. And so I told my parents I wanted to go by JJ and they humored me for a while. And I went to kindergarten and told the teacher that I need to be called JJ. So she called my mom and my mom said, okay, call him JJ. And they figured out it was a phase that I would grow out of. And here I am 40 plus years later still. That's hilarious. Going by JJ. Which, I mean, a lot of times, even at five, kids probably don't even know what their middle name is Uh, half the time. You know? Um, Anyway, so I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) So JJ, he's the founder of the Alcove, graduated with a journalism degree from MTSU, and has played keyboards professionally for over 25 years. He's a devoted husband and father of five kids, three adopted out of foster care. And JJ has served as worship leader and is one of the four elders, pastors of Resonate Church. Um, also does a lot of uh, weddings and is in a band, and yes. which you didn't add all that, but uh, you can tell me that here in a second. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, let's dive into uh, what I call the speed round, which is never speedy. Um, <laughs> how long have you lived in Nashville? I moved here in August of 92. All right. Actually, kind of a funny story. I moved here on August 12th of 92, and I was 23. I had just turned 23, and my dad um, helped move me down here. I didn't know a single soul in Nashville. And my dad, the, the next morning after we unpacked my stuff, 
he ran up to get some coffee in a newspaper. And back then there was something called the Nashville Banner. I don't know if you've been here long mm -hmm. enough to... I've been here since a, 2000. In, okay. Yeah, 2000. It probably closed maybe closed down a few years okay. before that. Um, there was the Tennessean and the Nashville Banner. Well, he had went and bought a copy of the Nashville Banner, and the photo and the story <laughs> on the front page was about homeless songwriters. And he thought that was hilarious. And, <laughs> and he so was. he said, good luck to you, and handed me this this uh, newspaper. That, that's what it was talking about. And I was moving here to be a songwriter. So that's there you funny. Go. There you go. He's like, so he was pretty encouraging father. <laughs> or he was like, he actually was, let, but he thought that was hilarious. Don't let this be you, right? Right, right. <laughs> Which is really surprising. I mean, that's I, you move here for music? That's surprising. I, and nobody does that. I know. I've never have heard of it. You're like the, I think everybody I've interviewed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so uh, obviously answers the next question for music. Um, how old were you when you moved here? I was twenty three. Three, you said that. Yeah. And so you hadn't you had gone to college or you? I did. Okay. I kind of did the the eight year plan to get my four yeah. year degree. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I went to University of Iowa for a year and then came moved back home to. I'm from Bloomington, Illinois originally. Okay. Which kind of smack dab in the center of the yep. state. Came back to Illinois for a little while. Went to change my major. I was a music major for a while and a journalism major and studied music for a little bit at Illinois State. And then I decided I was a drummer. Growing up, I was a drummer. And took it really seriously, played on the drum line and the marching band and played drum set and played in a bunch of bands. And then my senior year of high school, I started learning piano. My dad was an amazing piano player. And I started learning to play piano and I started songwriting. I would, I would learn hundreds and hundreds of songs, all these songs that I had loved growing up. I wanted to be able to play all the Billy Joel and Elton John mm -hmm. and Journey and, you know, whatever else was on the radio. Right. Um, so I would learn all those songs and... I, started to understand theory because of that and started to see how chords worked together and then I start, wrote my first song uh, my senior year of high school and I was asked to play it at graduation and that was the moment where I said this is what I want to do for my life because I played that song and I had people coming up to me afterwards in tears and I said and they I wow. said, this is this is amazing I want to take something that I'm feeling and put it into put it to music and have it affect others. I know I, that's what this is what I'm called to do. So that is what drew me down here. I, even though I went to college and was in journalism major for a while, I eventually went. You know, as I was writing more and more and more songs, and uh, my parents bought me a little four-track recorder, and I was down in the basement of our house. Like I would spend all of my free time getting out all of my song ideas with drum machines and all that. And eventually, cool. I said, wow. "I've got, I've got to go do this. this." Is what I want to do. Right. So, right. I thought about my music was more pop, so I thought maybe L.A. would make more sense for me, but I was a little intimidated by the idea of moving all the way to L.A., so I thought Nashville's a good stopping point. I wasn't really writing country, but, you know, the stuff I was writing was close enough. I'm like, eh, that's a good, good stopping right. point on the way to L.A., and it was a stopping point that you sucked never me left, in and right. I never left. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Let's say you're from Bloomington, and then mm -hmm. what part of town do you currently live in now, and why did you choose that location? Uh, when I first moved into town, I... I lived on the southeast side of town of Nashville and then ended up going to finishing school at MTSU. I got back into college, managed a record store for a while. Down, there used to be something called the Church Street Center um, where the library is downtown now. Yeah, there was a, a little walkthrough that used to be. Yes. A Renaissance Hotel used to be there. Okay. Um, and there's a little walkthrough to the, to the library, but that used to be a three-story mall. And when I first moved here, I worked at the record store that was in that mall. 
managed it for a little while, you know, left college, managed it for a while, mm -hmm. and then decided I want to give, go back and get my degree. And I went out to MTSU. And so I kind of went back and bounced back and forth between the Antioch area and um, and, and Murfreesboro. Mm -hmm. And I finished up in Murfreesboro and then moved back to, I just kind of always knew the southeast side really well. Right, so right. that's kind of where I stayed. Gotcha. Um, and cool. here I am 23 years not. later, 24 years later, still. At least you're not side. all the way in Murfreesboro, right? Oh, Murfreesboro's gotten crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 24 is really fun. Um, so what is your favorite restaurant? In town, mm -hmm. there's so many. There's so many more restaurants now than one um, about every. I'd say every month, probably opening up. Oh, I mean, that's probably an exaggeration. Amazing ones. I would say right now, of the ones we we rarely get out. My wife and I, with five kids, the idea of going out to getting a date, getting a date to go out to dinner is a rare treat. Right. Um, and we kind of stick with what we know we like. The um, Chawan. Uh, um, Ale Masala House. Have you been there? Uh, I have not. It's over. You know where? I don't know if Twelfth and Porter is Twelfth and Porter still. Open? Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, I know they closed down for a little while, but well, right I think across they are. from there. Okay. Um, down there on Porter, right, we used to be uh, right there in the corner. Okay. Across the street from Twelfth and Porter, there's a. Um, she is. She has a show on um, the Food Network. Okay. She opened a. And what's it called restaurant. again? It's called Chawan. That's her last name. Okay. Um, Ale and Masala House, and it's a. Huh. Um, it's like Indian that. fusion sort of place. It's got a great vibe and amazing food. Well, that's the crazy thing, you know. So we've been here what seventeen years, and you know, I've the last probably four or five people that I've done a podcast with have named a restaurant that you I haven't heard. Of. Yeah, and I'm just which I mean, we don't get out. I mean, we get out a decent amount, I, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but you could probably, you could hit. At least two or three new restaurants. Oh, a for week. sure. Easy, you know, so. and never get to them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I were younger, I would. I would probably be checking all those places out. We used to go to the place called the Yellow Porch all the time. I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yep. Actually, that's over by Berry Hill, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah. Actually, that's where we were at. Where I met you. Yeah. Or close to. Right it. by there. Yeah. Yeah. So favorite hobby? I mean, music. If you call it a hobby, I don't. It, I've off and on. I've done it. I mean, I've done it professionally for. You know, nearly thirty years, mm -hmm. but not full on because I've always had other and other career things going on as well. So I would say music is number one. I, I love collecting vinyl, listening to okay old records and stuff. Um, I like to. Read. Have you been to McKay's? Oh yeah, well, we that's a family outing time. for us regularly. Yeah, we went, and you know, Natalie really wanted to go, and um, and it's a bit overwhelming for me. I kind of like the <laughs> Amazon search. However, yeah. I thought if I went by myself, I didn't have to worry about Hudson. Saying hi to everybody, yeah. three-year-old, and I was into vinyl or something like that. Um, that would be it'd be cool just to sit there and almost like a, a well, thrift store. Boys you know? who are want to go look at all the video game stuff. Yes. My wife wants to go look at the books, and I go up and look at the vinyl. Okay, so, so y'all are all. I, well, I did pick up some Hardy Boys for uh, Bryce. There you my go, my ten-year-old. He's he's been he loves the Diary of Wimpy Kid. Yeah, I mean he sits there and he reads the book in like How a day. He? He's ten. Okay. And so I thought Hardy Boys would be, that's what all yeah. I remember as a kid. Everything else was Cliff Notes. Well, our four-year-old, we have her, she's going to find out at some point that we are raising her, like, not like with current culture because okay. she she's she watches the Brady Bunch. Yep. Okay. She watches Little House on the Prairie. She Like, those are her favorite shows. Right. Her, all of her favorite movies are Mary Poppins and... Um, so I need to make a list because I thought about that. And actually... The, all that stuff's on TV. You can DVR all yeah. of those shows. And so when she goes to watch a show, we, we pull up 
you know, stuff from the right. 60s and 70s. Right. And, and movies, Sound of Music, she knows every song uh-huh. in Sound of Music. Our, uh, um, our, one of our babysitters, she's the lead role. She's Mary, Mary mm-hmm. Poppins. So we're probably going to oh, get cool. tickets to go see. So tell me something unique about yourself. Unique about myself. Gosh, I don't know. Nothing. I guess You're I'm just not too normal. <laughs> well, you do play in a cool band, right? I yeah, mean. I do. I, I've, I'm in a band that we have, we have an interesting story with our band. We've been together. Um, it's 20 years now. It's February. We're trying to figure out how to how to kind of honor 20 years worth of right. sticking together, which is that is know, that's awesome. hard to do. We have five guys in our band. We started out as a seven piece, but we have five guys in our band, and uh, of them, the four of us are from the original lineup and that we formed back in 98 and we hit we have uh we've a bazillion memories and played a ton of parties and um flirted with you know getting a record deal and back in from about 2003 to 2007 we were recording our own music and yeah we've had guys that spent time in our band and went on to tour with major artists Mm -hmm. so i guess that you'd say that's something unique yeah we've got a unique story and right Kind of did the cover band and what's thing. It called? What's it's your... called Groove Addiction. Okay, I, and I like the name. That's yeah. pretty cool. We, well, it's funny. We we um, we were Groove Addiction when we started out. Put out a record and tried to get a distribution deal. And we're talking to. We had a manager at one point trying to get. We saw some several people that around us that we knew that were our contemporaries that were, you know, kind of moving on to the next level. And we we put everything into trying to do that for a while. At one point, we had some people in the industry tell us that our name sounded dated. Hmm. Sounded like a '90s R&B band, mm-hmm. and so we dropped. We, when we were working on our second record, we dropped the groove off of it, right. and just called ourselves the Addiction. Okay. And so, if you look for us on Spotify or on iTunes, we have two albums. We went, and then we tur- we just decided to go back to. For a while, we were like, well, you know, what? we're doing a lot of cover parties too, right. and having a blast with our cover thing. We'll call that Groove Addiction because people know us as that, and we'll call that original thing the addiction but that just kind of confused everybody so we went back to just being yeah. groove addiction that's what we are now yeah. we have been for and since I, about the last 10 years i like that which i think it does fit you know doing the cover stuff you know and the weddings yeah yeah so one of the most exciting places you visited i'm from illinois so you know we, we would go up to chicago a lot my wife's from pennsylvania i've been out to arizona california there's a lot of places i've not i've not left the country yet okay crazily enough so I'm anxious to do that. Um, I don't know that there will, my wife and I we tend to go to little small. We love to see little small towns mm-hmm. and take you in Americana and go to. Yeah, we'll go to. Well, if we've got a Saturday without, especially before we had kids, if we've got time to go do something, we'll we'll just drive until mm-hmm. we land in some little small town and check out the, a local place to eat. Right, um, right. And just whatever that town has to offer, we'll just make our own fun. Yeah, that's so, cool. I like yeah. that. Um, which I think you gave us enough, or you gave a lot about who you are, but give us kind of an overview of kind of what you're doing today. I've started something with a crew of great people called the Alcove Music and Arts Academy, and basically hit a kind of a career crossroads. I've been in the automotive industry, um, in marketing and um, in vendor relations and a bunch of different stuff with a, a Mannheim Auto Auctions, worked yeah. for them for a, a lot of years, and then kind of came to a career crossroads where um, I was... I'd hit 45, and I was kind of looking at my career and figuring that most people have from 25 to 65 is like a good 40 years to make their mark and do what they're going to do with their life. Um, that's the, the main time that you're working, and I was halfway through it. I kind of felt like, how can I, with 
the time I've got left, how can I glorify God with my time and take the gifts that I've been given with music that I've been uh, it, it loved and spent so much time on throughout all my life, how can I take that and then my heart for foster care, which is another part of our story, my, mm -hmm. my wife's story and I, and kind of bring all that together. And that's what we did with the alcove. I, I, I realized that the area that we live in, um, the southeast side of town, Antioch area, um, there's been an influx of, of um, refugees and um, immigrants. And there's a lot, there's uh, 23,000 kids at last count um, in Nashville, I mean, in Antioch, mm -hmm. and 60% of them are in single-parent homes. So there's a, there's this whole lot of kids in that area, um, and we just felt like, how can I use music, music and art? I, I've got a lot of contacts and a lot of people that I know in the music industry. How can we pull together our resources and what we know and mentor kids that need it in our area? Yeah. So when with the with a special focus on trying to draw... Um, provide that sort of mentoring to foster kids. Okay. So awesome. we're hitting at-risk kids and kids that maybe otherwise couldn't afford to get music instruction and art instruction, and extracurricular. Right. Um, and trying to give them that opportunity. Okay. And we'll dive into a little bit deeper. Sure. Um, so kind of start some deeper questions now. All right. Going back, way back. We all know how important your childhood is and how it can strongly influence who we are today. Tell me about some of your childhood experiences and how it helped you prepare for being an adult. It's interesting. I was raised by, my dad was a musician, um, had a band that played, you know, the, the main, all the main parties and stuff all throughout central Illinois for 35 years. <laughs> my band, my dad's band was playing it, but he's got an even more interesting story in that he put together, uh, one of the first rock and roll bands back in when rock and roll was blowing up and Elvis and all that. And they were, they would play shows in the Chicago area and that, and just have packed full of, I mean, just lines out the door. And they eventually decided to go on the road. And what they did back then is they go on uh, to Vegas. And his um, he let, dropped out of college to go follow his dream with his buddies. And they played on, they were on, they had a song that was a pick hit of the week on American Bandstand, sent them to Vegas. And then they were on the Ed Sullivan show and the Dean Martin wow. show. What were they um, called again? They were called the Swinging Lads. Okay. They, when they first started out, they were called the Squares. And that was when they had a, a hit called the Square Rock Part One. And when, we, when we, I took him to see um, the movie That Thing You Do when it was out, and he was blown away by it because it just it brought all these memories back. For he kind of lived that that story out. And so when I was born, um, he had settled in. He had a music store, sold pianos and organs, and my mom sang in his band. Um, he was very much an entrepreneurial, had a huge entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. um, he had all these big ideas of things he wanted to accomplish and do, and he would go for them. Um, and so <laughs> I think his influence on me, both musically, where there was a lot of music going on in our house, but then also the fact that he, he encouraged my mom to, she had an idea to open a maternity clothing store and he, and she would not have tried to do it on her own, mm -hmm. but he, he was very much an optimist and believed you could do anything. And, and he helped her open her store. Um, I, I know if you were, if he were still alive, he would uh, be super excited to have all kinds of advice about how to grow this nonprofit. Right, um, right. But I, I think I get some of that from him. Yeah, definitely. The example that he set. That's pretty cool. For sure. Um, that's a good uh, good experience. So, I, And I think having kids, you know, 
with Bryce. He's pretty creative. He actually did a face FaceTime live the other day. It was hilarious, and I knew I just. Has he sat stuff. in on any of this to see? He you did. Doing so that? the last one I did, um, he sat and watched, and the whole time he's thinking. First, he thought it was going to be live. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not live. And then he wanted to sit there because he wanted to be in it. You know? And I'm like, dude, just. And he's over there with his gummy bears. Right. And I said I would have to go. Because he's making too much noise, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then he did a Facebook Live. I asked him a couple questions, and he was just going on. He was ranting about reading, and it was it was pretty funny. So you got to give him the freedom to run with an idea. Sure. You know? And you got to, I guess, make it a priority, you know. And I think my my brain's always thinking. Like I told Natalie this morning, again, shower time is when I think of stuff. And I love it. And I just sit there in a high shower, and I'm just thinking. So I'm running through this new, you know, virtual live open house thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it here, here in the next couple of weeks. Just being creative, you know. So how to allow that creativity in your kids. Have you ever done the you know? Enneagram? Do what? The Enneagram. I don't think I have. Okay. Is it is it the it's whole a, it's, quadrant yeah, thing? Kind of, well, it's, it divides people into nine different per, okay. uh, different kind nine. of types. Wow! And what you're saying makes me think that you you're you're probably a seven like my dad. Okay, uh, just full of ideas and right. Super excited about getting them about going out and doing new things. Yeah, and then it's incorporating all those people and things to help you do it right for sure for sure but i think that's the thing with the kids is, is how do you nurture that you know and give them that freedom and flexibility to run with it even though you're like dude that's crazy but it's like you never know what i mean even thinking of that when i did this my wife was probably like you're crazy what are you doing and half the time i'm thinking what am i doing but you just you <laughs> know you, you, just you, you learn you, as you yeah, go yeah you do. that's pretty cool i like that um we all have a story we all have those moments in time that we look back and think I am so thankful that happened, or maybe we were thankful we just made it through. What are a few of those times that made an impact on who you are today from more of, you know, your, your yeah. 20 and above? If, with that question, the thing that immediately pops into my head is it's kind of a an interesting, maybe unexpected answer that I'm really happy that the, my band did not have the success that mm. we were that we were um, seeking, right? And I mean, literally, it dominated everything for me throughout my thirties. I, uh, you know, I was putting every ounce of energy into trying to get us to that next level. So much of whether or not you succeed, it's part talent, it's part luck, and it's part having the right people and ba- the backing behind you. And I think our music still holds up. Uh, we've had a lot of people tell us that. Fortunately, now I would have said, unfortunately, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, now I look at my life and. Uh, I'm grateful that that didn't happen uh, because there's a lot of other things that have happened with my life that may not have or probably wouldn't have. But, you know, God had a plan for my life and that's and this is where he's got me for a reason. Eventually, we stayed together as a band, even though we didn't uh, we we never got to that that next level. Part of our thing, too, was we were all a little bit older. We were in our late 20s when we first got started as a band. So as guys got married, started to have kids, then it becomes less a. Hey, let's. We we were writing music that we thought there's no reason this isn't. We can't get this on the radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, more and more obligations, more right. debts, more. Um, not going to pack up in a five guys in a in a van and tour the country and eat peanut butter and jelly. Right. Um, yeah. If you're if you're 32 and you've got a wife and maybe a kid on the way, um, that kind of started to happen for us as a yeah. man. And for me, I didn't get married until I was almost 40. Okay. Um, and we didn't have kids right away, um, and not intentionally. We just weren't getting pregnant, and so we we felt <laughs> called to. Both of us felt called to um, 
to foster kids. Well, initially it was to adopt, and we tried to adopt from Ethiopia, um, and that kind of that that route got shut down for us. And um, eventually, we were led toward fostering, and we opened our home in 2012. and had 13 kids come through our home, and we were able to adopt out of foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of I had no idea at the time that was going to mm-hmm. open my eyes to and my heart to a need that is just super prevalent and not only here but everywhere of kids who were not loved well right. early in their life and um, who a lot of them have experienced severe trauma and it has lasting impact on them. Learning that firsthand in my own home changed the whole trajectory of my life mm-hmm. so that now that like we're we're really kind of sculpting our family and where we're headed um, as a family unit, what we're trying to accomplish with the mm-hmm. team of people that we brought aboard um, to try to, there's only so many kids we can bring into our home, right. but if we can have a positive impact throughout the community, um, reaching a bunch of these kids and trying to be a mentor that will help them see that they have a voice and right. that they matter. and that Yeah, that's cool too. I mean, because at one part, I think it was probably half of your band who you're still with that kept you grounded. For sure. Not, you know, marrying until later in life, assuming you had some probably single years in there. And maybe they're a li- lot of them. Maybe they were li- <laughs> living there, living a little bit through your you vicariously, you know, so that's kind of cool. But then, you know, that's one of those moments where you're like, hey, we're trying to have a baby. Why can't we have a baby? We're, I mean, we tried, a, I think, a year and a half for Bryce, and it was like, we've done everything. I mean, we're out of debt and all this stuff and we're responsible. Why are you, you know, and you would have some other people that, you know, you're like, you know, I know somebody that had an, a, an abortion at the time we're trying for a baby. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was just like, man, that's just not right. You yeah. know, but now you look at where it drew you into fostering and to all that, sure. that whole process. And now you can look back and go, yeah, he had a plan, you know? So it's kind of cool how those, uh, you know, if you don't get stuck in those why, you know, well, why, actually, why, 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 I know? thought to myself at one point, I, you know, had never really heard the gospel and never, um, I, I came to be a believer in Jesus and at, at, I guess it was around 40 years old. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I, I was overwhelmed for a while by the thought of man, did I waste the last 20 years of my life chasing fame and success and girls and it was just I looked back on it I had nothing to show for it and I felt guilty about how much time I'd wasted and if I could have if I could have heard this and known this earlier what I could have accomplished but then some wise counsel mm-hmm. uh, told me he basically said and it's true God is using all of that right all the right all the years that I spent oh, far away from him not knowing him and all the and that my whole entire journey m- makes me able to relate to people who are um, and feel called to certain people and not, there are there are a million different little right. twists and turns in my story that led me to where my wife and I are right now that um, it's there's no other explanation for it because right. than than God orchestrating it yeah, 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 that's cool. Because he had he had in mind where he was going to have us and what right. he was going to have us accomplish. Yeah, I'll sometimes look back and I'll think about before and after, and I'm like, and I'll you'll start reminiscing on that before, and it's like, even with Natalie and I, you know, our relationship, you know, we change things once we both, you know, um, begun our walk with Christ, and and I'll go back before that, and she's like, she feel guilty, and I'm like, well, that's part of who. You know, yeah, so yeah. I, I do think there's that there's that balance. You can get caught up in it and you know, relive those moments that yeah. you know maybe you shouldn't go into so much detail with. <laughs> um, so tell me about a person or persons who have had a huge influence on your life, and who is someone you are currently following or learning from. 
Um, I would say, I mean, my, my, my parents, both of them were huge influences on me. My dad with his optimism and his entrepreneurial desires and passions. Um, and my mom was very, um, they both passed away in the last five years. Uh, my mom was extremely, um, sensitive and caring and loving and outgoing and gregarious and all that. So I, both of them kind of were huge influences on me. I mean, everybody's been influenced by their parents, but they were enormous influence. Some not, some, some not. in good ways, I mean, some like in not you ways. Said, what's yeah. the percentage of, you know, one parent homes, you know? So there's, when sure. I hear you talk about your parents, I'm thinking, man, it'd be awesome to meet your dad. I mean, he sounds like a pretty awesome and a good dad. And, and, you know, then I think about others and, you know, he actually had uh, not to get off in the left field, but he actually had an idea. It's kind of give you a little window into, um, what I had as an example growing up, he had an idea, um, we live in we lived in Bloomington, Illinois, which is where the um, State Farm Insurance is okay. their headquarters is, and most people in Bloomington's very middle upper middle class, you know, a super a nice safe, a midwestern town, mm-hmm. um, and a ton of people work for State Farm. Well, my dad ran a music store in that town, and he the, he'd been in. They'd hired him to come play at their Christmas event where everyone would come out to their big huge atrium that they have. And my dad's th- thought was, there's so many, there's so much talent in this town. A couple of colleges, a ton of people that he knew that were musicians and singers. And he said, there's so much talent in this town. And there's this big, huge, beautiful building with a, an amazing atrium in the middle that I, has a, a, incredible acoustics. That if you don't work for State Farm, you've never seen it. And mm-hmm. but it's right in the center of this town, and it's the focus of this town. And he went to several people that he knew at State Farm and said, I want to put together a free Christmas show and marshal all the resources around town, everybody I know, and we'll promote it and we'll give away tickets um, and we'll do Christmas music and it'll be like a couple days before Christmas mm-hmm. and and we'll have it in the atrium at State Farm. And he was told by a bunch of people, that's a great idea, but it'll never, never work. We don't put on shows in here. And he was given the right no a million times until he took it all the way up to the CEO at Rust at the time who said, I love it, let's do it. And so they, they did it. And he brought together the music main music store in that town and um, the main radio station in that town. The, they put together a symphony from one of the um, colleges and then all these different various artists from around the community. And um, no rehearsal, everybody does it, learns their own parts, and it's structured, and then they show up and they do it. And I, I was in high school at the time. I performed in it a couple times, but... Um, it, my dad ended up leaving that town, and that uh, tradition yeah. was ongoing That's cool. for years. Something he created, an idea he had right. in his mind. He marshaled all the resources together right. and made it happen, and it's, you know, it's been a, a staple of that community for years and years and years, 30 years. Plus. You know, and it makes me think, like, with that, with the connections, and like you said, with what you're doing and kind of one of the reasons why not take advantage of that. And I think about people that have a big social media network, you know, one, obviously they, they're on that platform, but two, utilizing all those connections. Like when I heard what you were doing, you know, immediately some people are coming to mind, you know, it's like, Oh man, you know, what can I do, you know, yeah. to connect people with you, you know? So it's, it's really cool 
that platform of social media networking, how it just all ties together. You know, and now it's so much easier too because I could be your Facebook friend. I'm like, oh, hey, cool. He likes this person. We're connected, and you know, so yeah, it's pretty pretty fun. Back then, you didn't know, right? Uh -uh. You had mutual friends and all that. Well, so we so (laughs) this one babysitter that we've had, we don't have her cell phone number. And so I looked last night because Natalie wanted to use this other one, and, and I think she's too high. And uh, so we're going to that concert Friday. But I was like, I'll find her. So, I'll, you know, in real estate, I looked up her tax records, and I knew her, her <laughs> the last name. I knew exactly it's kind of where she lived. And so then I narrowed it down to two homes within this neighborhood. And then I thought, okay, how can I figure it out? Okay, Google Maps. So I go to Google Maps, and I and I, <laughs> I, I see the minivan that she drives parked in the garage. I wow. said, that's it. And then I went to White Pages, and uh, I'm like, all right, here's the It's number. a little scary how easily we can it, find people. It is. People. It is. And Natalie, I said, I said, do you want to call her? I'll call her tomorrow. She's like, well, normally we text. I'm like, I know, but we used to call people before we had texts and cell phones. You know? <laughs> right. So uh, anyways, it was funny just how, you know, how times have changed a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. You know? For sure. Um, but also maybe think when you talk about your dad and influence, I was sitting down camping, you know, in this last weekend and we were kind of telling some stories and I said, yeah, I said, that's the one thing my dad did do is he, he uh, brought us to a bunch of campgrounds. He lived in St. Louis and apparently there were a lot of parks and it's funny cause I always remember the nature hiking the trails and it always started off good. And that's the parts that I remember. Because you filtered he, out the <laughs> alcohol was a little too involved uh, in his yeah. life. So it ended up, you know, not, not like, all right, well we might have to cut this short, you know, right, right. but at least he incorporated the outdoors, you know, into my life. So I kind of cut that part out. Sure. Sure. All right. So let's go back to, you know, the, the fall, fostering and stuff. Tell me about your fostering experience and how that led to adoption. When we decided to foster, it's funny, you, we had a perception in our head of what fostering was going to be like, and it's, it was a complete 180 different um, experience than what we expected. We thought that it'd be, you know, okay, we're going to, we went through the home study process and we got our, you know, everything that did, went through the classes, did everything we needed to do and thought, well, you know, they'll call us with a, you know, a kid that needs a home and we'll meet him and we'll see if it makes like, seems like a good fit. And that's not how it works. Um, basically they, they call you the, obviously there's something It's funny. We talk about with the alcove kids that are at risk, foster mm-hmm. kids are beyond at risk. They've already experienced some degree of trauma, um, because they've been taken out of their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they've been taken out of their home for a reason, so there's something not good happening at home. So the minute that DCS investigates a claim and, uh, and goes and finds out that this is not a safe environment for the kid to be in, they take them out, take them to the office, and start going down their list of people to call. And they call you and tell you the minimum amount of whatever it is that they know, which is usually not a lot, about the scenario. And... Um, you either say yes or you say no, and they need an answer pretty quickly because mm-hmm. they got to move on. They got to they got to get them out of the office and get them into a home. And so the when we got our first call, we weren't prepared. We were really we had no idea what we were doing, but we got a call for three little girls, and we said, even though we're not really ready, um, we didn't have any toys. We didn't have, we didn't have a, the room ready for them. We didn't have any place for them to sleep. Really, we had nothing. Uh, but we said we just felt God telling us do it. Um, step out in faith and he'll provide. Mm-hmm. And so we said yes. And we kind of put the word out um, on Facebook and uh, to our friends and stuff. And within 24 hours, we were blown away by people that were 
um, resources that we did. Sometimes people that we didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, word spread and people were sending us money. We, we had somebody go through their neighborhood and go to all their neighbors and get all this, this wow, kid stuff cool. and come over with a van load full of stuff. We ended up like with a with ton of stuff. And the, the room recarpeted and bunk beds and like w- literally within 24 hours. We were we were just blown away by what God used all these people mm-hmm. to do when we trusted him. Which is really cool because you were blessing others by even doing the fostering. Then you turned around and, and asked, right, put out, and yeah. people blessed you and allowed them. It's just amazing it's, the trickle for effect sure. of blessing others. You yeah, know? and we fell in love with those girls. And then basically what happens with all these these kids is... Um, there's something bad happening at home, um, either neglect or abuse or drug abuse or whatever's happening. DCS steps in, takes custody of the kids, puts them in a foster home, and then starts to try to f- investigate and see if there's any family members that are hmm. a safe place for them to go. Because uh, they'll usually do that. I mean, it depends on how severe the situation is, but they'll usually do that right away. Um, and if they can't find anybody, then they start calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they kind of have to make sure that the kids are not going to be placed from one dangerous spot into another one. So you don't really know when you take the kids into your home, are they going to be staying? They could be there. You could have a chance to adopt. They may be there for months. They may be there for a week or an overnight. You just don't know. Okay. And so we had them for a week. um, And then somebody in the family took custody of them. And we got a phone call and said, pack up their stuff and bring them down at three o'clock and so we had to say our goodbyes and we never saw them again and it broke our hearts we were devastated we took a little time off from fostering mm-hmm. to just kind of recover because we we had already seen projected our lives out with these three little girls um and they were adorable and um that we bonded instantly instantly with them and they bonded instantly with us so it was it was heartbreaking no, I can really prepare you for the emotional no, aspect and, of it, right? I mean, as much as they can say, it could be a day, but you, yeah, until you experience Well, we just it. took a little time off and kind of let ourselves recover a little bit, and then we jumped back in and did it. We kind of recognized and realized, okay, what our role is here is to just be a safe place, be a safe haven um, of refuge for these kids where they can just be, oh, and just love them like crazy while they're here, be like mom and dad, and they, it's shocking how quickly they will mm. want to call you mom and dad and they will see you as mom and dad when you're when you're not just looking at it as babysitting them you're looking at it as the this could be my these could be my kids forever and you find out all kinds of things about what they've suffered and been through and it just breaks your heart mm. um, but we went through another sibling group group of three and then they went with their grandmother and then we had three little boys in a row little baby boys um, and then we got the call for the boys that um, the kids that we ended up getting to keep, and um, they had um, experienced their mom passing away right in front of their eyes that day. So a lot of trauma, um, a lot of loss, a really challenging life that they've been through, which brings this whole array of uh, behavioral stuff that, and what you have to be able to do. And we had, and we, if I told you it was easy, I would be lying. Um, it has been. I often tell people that fostering has been the the hardest thing by far I've ever done in my life, but the best thing by far I've Mm -hmm. ever done in my life. And I would not change a a minute of it as hard as it is. And it's still hard. We've had them for six years. We still have a lot. We probably are in for a lifetime of helping them through struggles, but um, there is no, there's nothing that I can imagine my life, even with all the 
difficulty and mm-hmm. the inconvenience and the struggle and all that, um, all of it is better than anything that I could have possibly imagined had I not had those struggles. Because it taught us, my, my wife and I, a bunch about ourselves. It revealed a lot of things within us that we didn't know mm-hmm. were issues that we had needed to deal with. And right. it's made us better parents. It's made us um, care more. And then being blessed with biological children later has also given us this unique view into um, the differences between what mm-hmm. when kids who come out of the womb wanted and loved and are, uh, you know, from the moment they're born, actually before they're born, um, they're loved like unconditionally and supported and cared for. And mm-hmm. they learn right away when they cry and we come running to them, they learn that they have a voice and that they matter and that and that they're loved. They learn that right away. And it, it affects their brain chemistry. And we see the effects all the time of the boys that did not get that. Mm-hmm. And they... and we do the best we can to try to give them whatever degree of that we can now. Um, but it's, we, uh, you know, we've, we've gotten a window into the juvenile court system and mm-hmm. into the, um, group homes that, that are all around Nashville and that are all over the country really, where, um, kids that are too old that no one wants from, uh, to, to foster, there has to be somewhere for them to go. So there are these group homes, um, where, and it's a lot of teenage kids who, there's nobody visiting them. They've kind of been written off, maybe have some behavioral issues because their brain chemistry was right out of the gate, was kind of reconfigured in a way to be self-preservational. Is there a certain age that they foster? Do they stop fostering kids up to a certain age? or? Well, 18, they age out of the system. Okay, so... so you get a lot of kids, a lot, a lot of foster parents want really little right. ones because they feel like there's going to be less More change. baggage and they're kind of a, more of a clean slate and they can... So, do they go to the same school all the time? Like, do they keep them oh, with them? Oh, they, they move around. So, like, say you had the, the three. How old were you? Or how old were some of them? Were they uh, in school? When we got them, they, we, it's funny, too, because we initially started, we, we also agreed that we only want five and under because we'd never parented before. Right. And we were just, we we're honestly just afraid. Mm-hmm. And so, we thought five and under, we can handle that. And then we were, the first two sibling groups we had, the five-year-olds were the ones that we were really bonding with. And we just adored them. And we're like, maybe we can handle a little bit older. And so mm-hmm. we told DCS, we'll take seven and under. And then we decided, you know what, we can we can handle up to 10. Because we started to get a rhythm in it and realized we we can do this. The Some of the placements we got a call for and said no to, we felt we were convicted about and felt like we made the wrong decision afterwards. And so all of that served to sharpen us so that we would be more prepared to say yes when mm-hmm. the ultimate group of kids that... God had intended for us to right. be a part of our family. When that call came to us, they were, and it was not the three. We have a, an, another son that um, was not. It's kind of a complicated story. Mm-hmm. It was not. We t- we took in three the three kids. It was two boys and their younger sister. Um, she ended up actually going to live with her paternal grandmother. Took custody of her, okay. and we had a different boy come in to our home. But when they came to us. They were 11, 10, and 7. Now they're 17 and almost 16. Wow. So 12. Were they, but they were in school. They're, they were in school, but they were missing. They'd missed a ton of school. Like they were so, kind of moving around from, um, they, were, they were living in, uh, getting evicted from places, living right. in, in hotels. 
um, and they were not regularly attending school like they were supposed to be. They were going to school some here and there and then missing a lot of stuff. So they, they academically um, have had a rough road to kind of catch back up. So you would normally foster until either one they found family or something. If not, would that be the option to adopt? You or can go into go it. Back in, or, or could you say they were too much for you and then they would go back into the foster system, right? That does happen. So, um, okay. Yeah, basically you've got... When you when you sign up to foster and when you're going through the process, you can say, "I would like to um, be. I'm open to adoption," mm-hmm. um, or you can say, "I just want to foster." Right. Uh, you can't say, "I just want to adopt." I don't want to foster. You have to foster them, right. not knowing whether or not there's an opportunity to adopt. Which is interesting. The reason I ask that because I'm just thinking about you know hearing you talk about these kids' stories and the impact and the lack of love and all that stuff, and you think about all these different kids in different schools and yet we have no clue what their life looks like, just like adults. You know, mm-hmm. we have so much going on that unless somebody's open and transparent, you never really know what you don't know. they're going through. Well, and what and, we started to learn is to is to see the behaviors. Right. I look at the need that's being expressed behind the behavior. Because sometimes right. the behavior, all it is, they don't know how else to respond mm-hmm. um, because of literal brain right. chemistry that right. was reconfigured. You know, there's, which is all the more reason for the love and grace that that you know we all need to give each other, and even. Do you watch the show This Is Us? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. I, I, it's so funny. I don't know if I'm against the norm that everybody's like, "Oh, you must see it." <laughs> so I, I'm not going to see yeah, it. Yeah, or, or I don't like. I haven't. I haven't gotten into a show. I mean, I've watched a couple Amazon Primes, like you know, but it's five series, but. To get where, and even like football, like I used to be so into the Razorbacks, and now it's like, hey, I enjoy it, but I'm not I want anything controlling me. Right, right. You know, <laughs> which is maybe I'm too much of a control freak. Right. Know? So I have not gotten into it. Well, but it's, they talk, is it, one of the things that's cool about it is that it's um, it kind of tells intergenerational stories where okay. you see the reasons behind why people are responding and reacting that way because you see the backstory of their mm-hmm. family okay. and their parents okay. and their backstory and some and it'll go it'll skip around generations um, and it also there's one character that's um, a, a foster child and you you get to find out the backstory to see why she's reacting and responding the way she is okay. to the family that she's living with. It, what's interesting about it is that it's very accurate that we don't know mm-hmm. people's backstories and why there's reasons why and particularly some of the kids that have behavioral issues in school and we want to go just get it together. Well they they're without somebody caring enough to go I'm going to I'm not going to give up on you. Right. No matter how you right. act, I'm going to continue to keep... Um, you may push me mm-hmm. and try to push me out, but I'm going to keep coming back, keep sewing right. into you. Uh, because they're actually that, that you know, when the when the neurons get rerouted, right. um, you can actually undo that. That The brain can't, has this amazing capacity to, to adapt and adjust and relearn. Yeah. Even you can take a kid who's 13, 14 years old and has behavioral issues because of early childhood trauma and you can undo that um, sometimes all it takes is just one person mm-hmm. with a lot of with patience patience and, and love, love and right. just continuing to be there for yep. them because yep. uh, I, I was talking to somebody recently and it was about a situation and it was about somebody having a need and you could look at that and think oh my gosh I gotta deal with that I gotta deal with it and it's like and then you label them as like needy or whatever versus going look at it like how can I love this person? How mm-hmm. I forget exactly how it's phrased, but it's like just changing that mindset that, Hey, I have an opportunity to love someone through this, you know, 
and how can I bless them versus the negative side of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the cool thing is, you know, there's been quite a few people that one of the last questions I ask, the, the answer is love. And which, you know, I think that it's easy to say it, but to do it, you know, is is pretty big. Which I think you answered, you know, as far as how, well, is there one thing you would say, how, to, how would you prepare people about fostering an, ad, an adoption process? I would say, number one, to not go in with huge expectations and to be kind of forgiving of yourself as you struggle through. It's very easy to get um, a lot of the things that are deep down in that don't really get your buttons don't get pushed and all right. that because you've surrounded yourself with family and friends that you get along with well and uh, people that you don't get along with you don't spend time around um, so it's it, you don't realize that there are buttons that can be pushed and as those get pushed and you respond and react to accept that that's that's it's not okay but it's normal right and give yourself that, as much grace as you got to give and you've got it and, right? and you really got to come at it with a I want to I'm going to I'm going to continue to pursue loving this child mm-hmm. um, and and they're gonna it's not like you're gonna get a kid who's um, super difficult and you may we've of all the 13 kids we had they've all been various degrees of um, difficulty but also various degrees of awesome hilarious moments and beauty and there's there is this soul inside each of them that is every bit as valuable as yours or mine or anyone else's um and if they just out of the gate they were given these huge disadvantages and if some of that can be chipped away then they're then the light in them is allowed to shine out um so that's kind of the the goal of the alcove is to get together a bunch of people that have um a heart to want to serve this this particular people group and then to just try to be there. And it's not, you also, it's, I've tried to tell people that have volunteered with the alcove, um, don't expect that you're going to immediately walk in and you're going to feel this huge, like, wow, I made a difference today. That kind of happens over the long, the long haul. Mm -hmm. It's a long game. It's not like I'm going to, I'm going to come in and tell tell them this amazing advice and they're going to, it's going to change their life. And, you know, those little, those little moments do matter, but it's more of a, you look back after over, several years and go, wow, we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in the, in the, in the moment it feels like, I don't, am I, is this really making a difference? Cause it there, feels like we're still struggling with the same stuff. We're beating our head in the same wall. There was a, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And I believe the guy that spoke at our church, he, they, I think they fostered, I think that was it. And so they, this, this young man uh, stayed with him and it was tough. I mean, he said that put him at risk of different stuff and, Anyways, when he was 18, he was gone. And, you know, it wasn't what the guy had expected that experience would be. And he probably had some resentment, you know, Mm -hmm. the position that this kid put him in. But later, I don't know how many years later, the guy, the young man at the time, found him. And he basically, you know, one, told him what an impact he made in his life. And two, he apologized for putting him after he had kids and stuff, you know. So even in that, you know, it's like you're in you this just moment. Don't you, you don't, you know. And you can't do like, it for yourself. Yeah. Right. You do it to glorify God and God, let, yeah. allow God to use you in that yeah. way. Well, and I even think, too, you know, if you don't have that right expectations of going, okay, adoption, adoption. It's like, no, you signed up for fostering. You know, you got to be open and willing, truly be open and willing to accept that, you know, and to know that you may not ever see the fruit of it. And I I have no idea how God's using that. Um, there, all the kids prior to the the three that we, that ended up staying with us, we've, we extended 
our information, right. contact information. If you need any help, we'd love to stay in their lives. Every one of them, we, we don't know what happened to them. Right. Um, and that's, it's emotionally difficult. It's hard. And fostering is not for everybody. Right. But uh, kind of one of the things that I think is pretty cool is that there's this, there's a huge need. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of kids out there that have not, I mean, I often say there are kids, the homeless community and the jails are filled with people who were not loved well when they were little mm-hmm. kids. Um, and I think it's great to serve the homeless community. I think it's great to try to make an impact with, uh, with, you know, people who are, who are, um, in juvenile detention centers and in kids who are in group homes. If we can get to them before, you know, if we, if we can make an impact mm-hmm. and kind of help correct some of the, some of that 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 trauma that was done early right. in their lives, and prevent the rest of their life from having that trajectory. I mean, that would be amazing. Even to just succeed with one kid, right? And then right. while fostering may not be right for everybody. I mean, it's it's definitely. I would recommend if you got a heart for it at all, don't wait till the right time to do it. Just just jump in and tr- and learn as you go because you're never going to be you're fully prepared. You're always going to have some fear in it, right? And if you're not, if it's not for you, there's ways that you can still. You can still serve that community, and you can still love them well by supporting enterprises like the like the Alcove. The Monroe Harding is a wonderful organization in town that we mutually support what the others doing. But um, Monroe Harding is, and there there are a bunch of other ones, but Monroe Harding they help kids, they pair foster families with um, foster kids. They mm-hmm. also have a group home there with kids that they've not been able to place, live there, and are taken care of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also. Um, take kids that are aging out of foster care and out of state custody and help them transition into, you know, help them find jobs and find, learn how to budget and um, just kind of become a functioning adult that can live on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do, they, they're doing wonderful work and there's plenty of other organizations in town that are doing that too. Right. That kind of stuff. We actually are putting together a mobile team. This The, the plan this year is we, what we ultimately want to see with the alcove is the, for the alcove, Music and Arts Academy to be a place where kids in the Antioch community can come. And we're starting in Antioch. We'd love to see a couple of these in other places mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but kids can come after school and they can get group instruction on in, in, uh, photography and music and they uh, whatever's inside them that they need to kind of work through. Um, music and art is an amazing cathartic tool mm-hmm. um, to help to help kind of process um, emotional stuff. It's also, there's all kinds of advantages that it has to developing parts of your brain so that you can learn well and all the other, all the other, um, you know, the topics at school. Um, But to have a place that kids can come and get individual instruction and group instruction and have be mentored by adults who love them and take care of them. And, but then also go out to the kids who can't come to us. So we're putting together a mobile team to go to to go to group homes to mm-hmm. some of the kids that no nobody's visiting and that society's kind of written off. That we're going to go out there and try to love love those kids well too. That's cool. So, yeah. That's cool. So um, and which I was going to ask you later more, but you you told us what that's what you're doing now, and that's a nonprofit. Yes. How long has it been? Um, we we started. It's about to be about a year and a half. We okay. it was a little over a year ago that we officially launched. We did a pilot program before that to kind of test the idea and see whether it would work with a small group of kids, mm-hmm. and it did. It was great. And so we've you know we've tried to keep moving toward our goal. We need um, a lot more help with funding uh, to be able to get to where we're really trying to go. Okay. Uh, we need more sponsorships and partnerships. And right. More volunteers, and okay. we want we really want to try to serve as many kids as we can. That's awesome. 
Well, I mean, it's, I was sitting there looking at the time. I'm like, wow, but it's such interesting stuff to talk about, really. And I think everybody could benefit from, you know, the fostering adoption process. Sure. Because we've known, you know, quite a few ways, some good friends that they adopt, fostered three and then eventually adopted them. Um, all right, so switch gears a little bit. So pretend you have a huge social media following. You're about to go live. You want to share a few struggles in your life so you can hopefully save others from that learning experience. What would you share and why? I would want to point people to, uh, to. Um, I kind of touched on this a little earlier, mm-hmm. but I spent a lot of years kind of chasing my idols of music and um, people-pleasing and getting and getting appreciated through... Um, the affection of females and all that stuff. I mean, I, so much of my life was focused on myself. And it's very easy in a town like this, where it's particularly in the music industry, where you've got to be self-promoting all the time. Um, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of people in this town that are trying to make it. I would tell them that um, maybe kind of think through what success truly is to you. Mm-hmm. Because uh, what I considered success at one point in my life, I know it was... Um, was all about me. Um, and it's so much more fulfilling. You get a deeper sense of joy when you're pursuing um, goals that, that it, we are allowing God to work through you and it becomes what he um, is trying to do and not mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think and maybe that's sometimes our journey. It, the path is as it is. Like, I think I w- always regretted, like, not being serious in college and in the jobs mm-hmm. I had. And I never loved. And I was always, um, I was not content with what I was doing. And uh, because they just, it was just a normal job in my sure. eyes. But then as I got in real estate, you know, being able to help others, you know, um, and then even now doing this. So it's kind of cool to think about that because, you know, you don't think that big when you're in high school going to college. Right, right. I mean, you can. But that, and that's kind of what you're saying is like, really give some thought to, you know, impacting others because it, when you have a purpose, it's going to be a lot more, you know, joyful. And so absolutely, when I finally landed and I thought, all right, I love real estate, you know, and this is where I will retire doing and incorporating different stuff into it. And that's what I love about, you seem to like you know, people and getting yeah, to know people and yeah. And just how you can incorporate different things, you know, and again, the social media, that's a great thing about social media is is that it gives you that platform to be a positive impact. Plus, you know, again, that's why, you know, doing this type of podcast is different because I get to sit here and we're not over a computer, you know, and it's all local people. So um, I can connect and I'll go help at your, you know, nonprofit and stuff like that. So, but I I like that. It is, it's just really pausing and, you know, don't, don't let it, don't let the rat race of whatever you're chasing. Well, and in a town like Nashville too, I, I look back on the last 20 years with my band and I'm like, if you're able to make money making music and you're having fun and you're able to, to um, get your ideas out and um, you're, you got a roof over your head, mm-hmm. yeah, that's succeeding. Right. And, and I know quite a few that are doing that. It's yeah. just, you know, and, and they the industry has cool. changed like crazy. Yeah. You can't make money the way you used to. And that's cool because you see them, they did travel, they did this, but now they're doing more session work. And a lot of the reasons why is because they have family and kids and they don't want to be on the Do it for the love of the creating of the music. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. For sure. Um, so I know being a musician and now starting a nonprofit, there can be moments that are tough. When something gets you down, how do you give yourself a kick in the rear and keep moving forward, like starting this nonprofit? You know, for sure. Um, I, 
number one, I would not, there's no way I could do, um, I, we could have gotten to where we are with the alcove without the amazing crew of people um, that I can lean on and that are, uh, you know, none of us are skilled and, and gifted in a bazillion different ways. We all have certain giftings and other areas where we struggle. And um, I've been blessed to have some really great people that are gifted in ways that I'm not um, to kind of come alongside me. And, and when I've been, um, I mean, just yesterday, we had a meeting last night kind of planning out um, the goals for this year and how we're going to reach them. And and as the founder and president of this um, nonprofit, I was kind of running this meeting and I had been in a little bit of a funk and I was feeling, it gets very easy to feel um, weighted down and overwhelmed by everything that has to be done in order to get where you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. But my wife reminded me yesterday on the way to the meeting that God uses flawed people and you don't have to have it all together and you don't have, this is not your vision. This is not your, this is not your thing that you are trying to do. Um, this is what God is trying to do and he's using, he's allowing you to be used in this way. Mm -hmm. And so that should take the pressure off. Right. Um, and so being around people like, um, your flaw pastor. Yeah. Believe it. I know. Shocking. Right. I don't have any flaws on me. Being around the the guys (laughs) in my church and, uh, my wife and, she has amazing insight that helps point mm-hmm. me back to the gospel all the time and filter everything through that lens. So when I start to get bummed out about what I'm not capable of doing, she reminds me that I don't have to. Right. That's so surround yourself with great people, right? For sure. But then also I'd say if you weren't communicating that to your wife, how would she pick you up, right? Yeah. And help motivate you. So yep. being open and transparent, you know, with that. For sure. So speaking of, you know, with you being music and seeing how, you know, that's been such an influence in your life. How important is the arts to childhood development? I know oh. you hit on that a little bit, but it's huge. Actually, when we were first starting to put the alcove together and uh, I did a bunch of research on there and no, no reason to reinvent the wheel. There's, there's a ton of research that's already out there that has been done on the impact of the arts. Um, and uh, sadly the arts are becoming less and less of a priority in the schools, but um, there's a ton of you information. You mean football's not the same yeah, right. as, as the arts? <laughs> yeah, it's, shockingly, people aren't, you know, giving full scholarships. They're not, to, they're not in the dugout playing the violin or right, something. Right. Maybe if we incorporate some music into that. There's yeah. a video that we that um, I, I can't think of the title of it, but I've got it on my computer at home um, that we've used. I've used when I've gone to events, kind of casting the vision for the alcove. Uh-huh. Um, that talks about it's sort of kind of cartoony video, but it talks about. The actual um, wh- the way the brain comes alive when okay. you're learning the arts, and it causes um, certain parts of your brain that don't get accessed otherwise. They're just on fire. Um, hmm. But there's a ton of studies and, and and statistics that show how much better students do in all these other topics, including uh, in, in addition to the to the the, the um, different areas of study. There's also they become more uh, confident. Their character gets developed, their creativity, all that stuff can be um, really impacted by studying the arts at a young age. All right, cool. So that's that's good. Um, and I mean, you know, being an artist, there's so many things that are can be involved under that umbrella as well. For sure. As well, why well, not even think? You know, just in a lot of cases, being able to express yourself publicly is mm-hmm. a confidence thing, right? Bryce was uh, in; he did drama and he played uh, actually a radio announcer. Um, Bert, Bert Healy and uh, um, 
Annie. Oh, okay. Um, and he, of course, his outfit, I think, gave him confidence because it, <laughs> it was pretty pretty pimping. Um, but just being able to do that. You yeah, know, yeah. So just little things like that, you know, build up, build up confidence. So, And then, yeah, we got to get some music stuff in there. He's stuck on hockey right now, but we'll Man, nothing wrong with that. Go no, players. there's not. Hey, they're doing great. Yeah. So I know there are several great ideas people have. There are several passions people are sitting on. How do they turn the corner and put the plan in action? I, you know, it's interesting. The... The, the way that it happened for me with the alcove, because I tend to be, I'm not like wired like my dad where I've got a bazillion ideas and I just believe I can do any of them. I tend to see all the roadblocks and feel overwhelmed and go, I can't do that. Um, and so the, the, the reason that this has, was an idea that came to fruition and is now being built um, is not just based on my ability to push through and overcome my fears. Uh, it was uh, more than anything. I mean, I, more than anything, it was God using all these people. Right. Um, but one of the ways he used these people was that he, it was through networking and willingness to just meet with anybody. Um, to, I, I met with someone that I was introduced to through somebody at my church. And at the time I was worship leader at my church. And we were trying to figure out how to, um, how to draw. We wanted a more diverse uh, mm-hmm. congregation and we wanted to appeal to them musically uh, to all different kinds of styles how do we how do, how do we embrace diversity right both in our congregation and in our music and to, to be more welcoming and all that kind of stuff so we, in having that discussion I was pointed towards somebody who's a worship leader at another church that has a very diverse um, congregation and so we ended up setting up a uh, let's get together for coffee and we had a great meeting about that particular topic, but it put him in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so when I started to, when I started to come up with the idea for the alcove, I thought he might want to be a coach or instructor with the alcove, and he might have access to some people that are in my area and know people that that might want to serve uh, volunteering for the alcove. And so when I I told him, and this is before I'd done anything about it, it was just first starting to investigate, mm-hmm. and I and I set up a meeting with him to go get coffee and I told him about what I was thinking and little little did I know um, he has all this experience in helping build um, helping small businesses as, as a consultant mm-hmm. helping build small businesses and nonprofits and launch mm-hmm. them helping helping grow okay, them wow. so he had this whole skill set I didn't know about and he basically said um, I want to help mentor you through this process and I will meet with you here's the deal I will meet with you every week and we will I'll put you through a program where we figure out mission and vision and we're, we'll, we'll design and structure this whole thing out and I will pull it out of you mm-hmm. um, but I will help you get there um, wow. and in exchange for that Right, right. Nothing. So we met every week for a year as we mapped this whole thing out. Wow. And had God not put him in my in my path. Right, yeah. And I didn't, didn't even know that he, that's, that he had those skills. So mm-hmm. a lot of it is just being willing to meet with whoever yep. and networking like you were mm-hmm. talking about. Being mm-hmm. willing to take any meeting, call, you know, shake any hand and just um, get to know people, want to know who they are, what they're about, and tell them what you're thinking. And you never know how yep. God's going to use all that. Well, and I, think, I, I definitely agree. And I, I think that's kind of what I did. It's like, one, be willing to share your crazy idea that yeah. you could think it's crazy, but there's it's just on your mind. And then, like, having those conversations, because that's what I, I found to push me to do something. The more I put it out there, 
the more I'm holding myself accountable that yeah, I yeah. got to do it. I can't fall on my face now that I'm telling them. I mean, that would be like you doing all that and then going, ah, I'm too afraid I can't do it. I give up. I mean, yeah. you'd feel like more of a loser. Yeah. And uh, But it was through just multiple conversations that, you know, that I did this, which I need to reweld. But, you know, <laughs> come up with these little ideas and how I found this camper was sitting down with a friend, Jason Jordan, and telling him my idea and, and then you know he's like actually isn't there a camper down the road um i said you know what there is so just having that conversation you never know where it's gonna yeah, lead i mean just someone's little, gonna have another idea that yeah, you didn't really think of cool. and so then when you when it all comes together it's really cool to look back and think of all the different people that you know that's why you just can't you can't yeah. have it be all about you and what you think right. you're gonna do you got to bring right. in other people's ideas yeah and so you kind of hit on the the maneuver so now we're getting a little rain here comes the so storm we'll hear a little background noise for a minute um so actually you asked that so i guess the, the last and so this is hilarious. I've been asking this question um, from the great words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4.7. Before I was saying from the great words of Timothy in 4.7. And I got thinking, I was like, you know, I don't think Timothy wrote that, right? right and nobody right. actually corrected me. So anyways, from the great words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4.7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When your journey is over, what legacy are you hoping to leave? I would say I would love to. I would love to be able to say that I was a. a, a it'd be said about me that I was a um, someone who learned from his mistakes and gave his life to God and glorified God and all that he did once he once he knew God um, and as as a father and as a husband um, and I would love to see the alcove have a huge impact in this community. Uh, that extends way beyond whatever I could do on my own. Yeah. Bring a lot of people on board and have, I would love to see it where someday kids that go through the program end up running the program. Right. You That's know? cool. And how can guests um, help with Alcove? Uh, the best listeners. thing to do is to visit our website. We're on Facebook. You can get out, you can find us on there or you can go to um, the Alcove, uh, the Alcove Academy. That's Alcove, A-L-C-O-V-E. Okay. Alcoveacademy.com. And you can get plugged in there, and uh, we, we need help with donations, investments. Um, you know, recurring monthly investments are super helpful because they allow us to establish baseline budget. Right. Uh, but we would also, you know, if there's partnerships, if there's instruments, if there's um, if there's someone was wanting to serve in being um, on the team, you know, actually working with the kids, bring them on. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, and then they can also book you, your band? Yes, through. Groove Addiction. We okay. are a heavily, uh, we're the big party band, get everybody on the dance floor. And we, we stay pretty uh, consistently booked and heavily booked throughout the Southeast. That's awesome. So, nice. Yeah. Well, man, thanks so much. I'm glad uh, we might have to be yelling in this afterwards. Right. Um, but appreciate you uh, stopping by, yeah, the Rambler. Thank you, Andy. And uh, look forward to... Uh, to volunteering um, someday soon. It's been a, uh, been a pleasure being able to talk to you on your podcast. All right, thanks. After hearing that story and meeting JJ, I can't wait to get involved in the Alcove. He is doing some great things. I know that the, uh, the Alcove Music and Arts Academy is making a huge impact, and as they grow, we'll continue to make one. So can't wait if you're in Nashville. Uh, make sure to look them up and see how you can get involved and make a difference in some uh, kids' lives. Thanks again for tuning in to Heart of Nashville. Make sure to check out next week. I'll be sitting down with Angus Nelson. He is 
a local Nashvilleian. And he uh, actually, I sat down and had coffee with him. As I had mentioned in the intro, I had started a podcast last year. It's still out there. Some great stuff. Had a conversation with Angus after I heard him speak at a Nashville meetup. And he was, uh, you know, I, I knew I kind of wanted to change direction. So I decided to ask him because he's a pretty good marketing guru as as well as doing a lot of other stuff. But he was brutally honest. I love people like him that, that do not hold back because I can take it. And I took it and I put it into action, sought some wise counsel, changed the direction. So it was uh, thanks to him that I'm doing this podcast. So hopefully you like it. If you don't, give Angus a call and tell him it's kind of his fault because uh, he, he, he led me into changing direction and simplifying. And uh, if you got a second, scroll down, click on review. Let me know what you thought about the episode. As I just mentioned with Angus, I'm always open for feedback. Um, if you don't want to leave a review of feedback, just shoot me an email. Let me know, hey, you might consider tweaking this or that. I might not do it, but I am always open to, uh, to, to options. Today, I'll be closing out the episode with John Scott. He is a singer-songwriter. He actually uh, had worked previously with the lender I work with. And I have a full interview with him as well. Um, so make sure to check out the show note for links to, uh, to Alcove and to John Scott. Until next week, have a great one. Make an impact, make a difference, get out there, meet people, change lives. The sponsors of this show are Buckwalter Impact Group of Benchmark Realty. You can reach Andrew at 615-973-7657. For any real estate needs in the Nashville and surrounding areas, or if you're looking for a realtor in your local area. If you have any lender needs, give Brandon Hutchison with Legacy Mutual Mortgage a call at 615-866-9468. And lastly, if you have any title or closing needs, give David Weber with Limestone Title and Escrow a call at 615-730-7955. They close anywhere and anytime at no additional cost. Make sure to text Benson, B-E-N-S-O-N, to 41411 by April the 30th for a chance to win a gift card to one of JJ's favorite restaurants called Chawan El and Masala House. So this is a song I wrote with my friend Bill DeLuigi. Um, He is not a pizza guy. Sounds like a pizza guy. But he is a songwriter. And this is one he and I wrote together. There's nothing like sitting here next to you Underneath the blessing of a midnight moon Come on, come on, let's do what we do Burn up the big town, spend a lot of cash, or turn on these headlights and strip it all back. Come on, come on, let's do what we do. Yeah, we can take a back road, maybe find love. I'll pick up the bottle, we don't even need cups. Yeah, these small town stars shine like money, nothing like wine and a local honey. There's nothing on the radio, but there's something in the air. Where 
where you want to go, baby, I'll take you there. Come on, come on, let's do what we do. I took the world for a spin, no clue where I was going. I was looking for you, hey, but I didn't know it. Come on, come on. I said, come on, yeah, we can take a back road, maybe find love. Town stars shine like money, nothing like wine and local honey. enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes and be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time, 